Okay, well, good morning again. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a healthy member is a committed member. A healthy member is a committed member. Um, so this topic is a lot bigger and wider than we tend to think it is. The reason is because there's so much more to church membership than just mere obligation of coming and, you know, that command. There's a whole category of theology that uh, church membership flows out of, <clears throat> um, and it's woven into so many other important points that are found in the scripture. But for today, I want to focus on only a few parts of this topic uh, regarding the issue of commitment to a local church. So I'll start by saying this. I can only imagine how hard it is for leaders and pastors to convince their members of the importance of commitment to a church. That's a hard task. Uh, letting their, their, or trying to convince the, uh, the, the fellow brothers in Christ how important it is uh, to be committed to church. On the one hand, leaders don't want to come across as legalistic, right, or insensitive to those who have complex circumstances uh, that makes it hard for them to be consistent in church. That's understandable. But on the other hand, they have this urgency to want to express the importance of commitment to the church both to your, for yourselves, for the benefit of yourselves, and for the benefit of others in the church. Uh, first of all, the word commitment alone tends to scare people, right? Um, I'll never forget something that Mark Dever said <clears throat> once at a conference about biblical church membership. And he was, speaking, he was speaking about how there was a Baptist church who had a problem with squirrels. A problem with squirrels. And these squirrels had gotten in the inside of the church, in the attic, and down into the kitchen. And they didn't know what to do about it. But finally, someone figured out what to do. Um, so they baptized the squirrels and made them members. So now they only show up on Christmas and Easter. Yeah, that's sad. So, yeah. So, in our culture, there's nothing that draws people away more than the word commitment, or even membership for that matter especially when talking about the local church. Uh, we sort of prefer to take a no-contract way of living, and I get it, you know, I understand that. Uh, many do this with their phone companies, right? You might have a phone company that you just don't want, you don't want a contract, or you, you prefer to have a deal where you don't um, have to pay anything to leave. Um, or even gym memberships. Sometimes we prefer the gym memberships. That's easy to uh, make an exit if you want to quit, like me. Um, <laughs> We don't want to be locked down or in a situation where there aren't options or where there isn't room to quit. Uh, commitment can be scary for a lot of people. For many of us, just making a simple decision, just one decision is hard because it means you lose the comfort of having all other uh, options, right? Um, that's tough. Um, and I can't tell you how many times after I proposed to my wife, I had men at work tell me, don't do it, bro, don't do it. <laughs> um, it's one woman for the rest of your life. And by the way, I do not regret at all marrying Joy Lynn. Why would I not want to be locked down with such a beautiful and godly woman? But again, this is the fear of our culture, of real, of real commitment. And this is a real issue. Now, take a moment to imagine a world without commitment. Uh, no one committing to anything. No one committing to education. No one committing to their jobs. Parents stop committing to their children and say, hey, you can feed yourself. Um, and the truth is, 
that most of our resources that we use on a daily basis, if you think about it, things like your car, uh, your refrigerator, even the traffic lights, uh, keeping society in order, the locks on your door, are all a result of a commitment somehow, some way, in a big way. The reality is that, the big, the, the, that this idea of a lifestyle with no commitment is impossible if we are to continue to flourish as human beings. We know this. The same, things, the same thing applies to Christianity. In the same way, what God commands of you as an individual Christian is impossible to live out apart from this rule of commitment. So today, I'm going to argue that a healthy church member is a committed member. They're one and the same. And I'm going to show you this in three points. So point number one. By the way, if you haven't gotten a handout, we have a few there. And you'll see these points on the handout. Uh, point number one, membership as a promise of commitment. That's point number one. Membership is a promise of commitment. Point number two, the role of gifts of each member. So we'll talk a little bit about um, what it, what, uh, where does gifts play in the role of committed membership. And point number three, a brief description of a committed member. So we'll sort of practically describe what it looks like to be a committed member. So let's talk about point number one. Membership as a promise of commitment. So as we just spoke, many people hate the idea of church membership. But this, is, this, isn't, this isn't only an issue for non-Christians. Uh, this is an issue for many professing Christians as well. Joshua Harris, in his book, Stop Dating the Church, wrote something about his attitude when he was a young Christian that actually might reflect, might reflect a lot of the attitude of some of the younger Christians today. He writes this, and I quote, when I graduated from my church's high school youth group, I started visiting around. I loved God and had big dreams for what I wanted to do, I'm sorry, for how I wanted to serve him, but I didn't see any reason to get involved in one church. By then, I thought I knew all there was to know about church, and I wasn't impressed. Most churches struck me as out of date or out of touch. There had to be better, more efficient ways to accomplish great things for God, end quote. So even in my own experience, I've seen this attitude among the young people. Um, but this, this is an attitude for many, many Christians, regardless of the age. Uh, many think that belonging to a particular church is secondary and isn't too important at all. And some might even think that it's like a hindrance to their um, life as a Christian, the thought of signing up and joining a church to many feels like a spiritual relic destined to only hinder spiritual freedom and fruitfulness. This goes along with the so-called radical Christianity movement. Many people find it more spiritual to be doing what they consider big things for God. They want extreme living, things like traveling to foreign countries, which is not bad in and of itself, but they prefer traveling to foreign countries, infiltrating the entertainment world, or starting movements that are groundbreaking, all under the banner of radical Christian living. And again, this is not bad in and of itself, but it has a tendency to outshine the faithful, ordinary, and consistent commitment that the Bible calls us to have regarding church membership. In other words, it is far easier for a young, zealous person driven with excitement to do extraordinary things for the cause of Christ. But it's a lot harder for a Christian to say, I'm going to devote myself 
to serve consistently and regularly, attending faithfully to my local church. This is truly where the hard task is. And yet, it's much more spiritual rewarding, spiritually rewarding. To some Christians, they're just indifferent to church membership. They're neither excited or negative. They just don't, it just doesn't matter to them. I can understand that. There's some people that are that way. Many are just uninformed and have never considered the Bible's view of the local church. They just don't know. And of course, there are some who are the independent types, the Lone Ranger Christian that does not want to carry any of the church's burdens, but would prefer to consume what they need and sort of leave unattached. And finally, there are those who are slow to commit to a church because their affections are inverted. They might have strong attachments to maybe a home church in a town where they grew up in, and yet the church is like hundreds of miles away. They can't bring themselves to commit to a church where they live because they've never emotionally left the church from their past. What then is the root problem of it all? A root The root, all these perspectives stem from the same problem. And there is a failure to understand or take seriously God's intent that the local church be the center of the life of his people. Uh, And this is an important thing to remember. Uh, Let's look at the centrality of the church life in the lives of the early church. So here's here's a verse in Acts 2, 42 to 47. Can I get somebody to read that? Thank you. Very good passage here. This passage, by the way, is a nightmare for those who love the world and have so many ties to the world. This is a nightmare to have church be the center of your life. Particularly verse 44 when it says, And all who believe were together and had all things in common. Sometimes we can look at the church and say, Man, I can't relate to 99% of the people there. And I understand that. In many ways, making the church a central part of your life can be difficult because of all the differences. All these differences at times make it very difficult. Um, Some of you were raised in rural areas, some in big cities. Some of you were homeschooled and some of you uh, went to public school. These are differences amongst each other. Some of you had both parents, some of you didn't. In our church, we have a mix of different cultures and races. And yet we see in verse 46 that the early church, day by day, were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So how did the early church manage to be together and have all things in common? Well, for one, we see that this is a work that the Lord was doing, right? both with each individual member and collectively, because it was he that was adding more and more members to this community of believers. So God was behind it all, um, and he still is in, in our church. 
Our commitment to a local church is the key of the whole passage. Look at verse 42 through 43. In the beginning here, it says, And they devoted themselves, see that word devoted? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So first we see the word devoted, which in the original Greek word means to adhere to one, to be devoted or consistent to one, to be uh, steadfastly attentive unto, to give uh, unremitting care to a thing in perseverance and not to faint. So notice in that definition, when you pull up that word um, in, in its original Greek word, uh, notice the singular emphasis when you unpack that word. Uh, this, is, uh, this is very similar to our word for commitment. Uh, committed to one thing, committed to one, one group of people. The writer of Acts is describing a commitment that each Christian needs to decide to take. Um, so the question, what were they committed to or devoted themselves to according to this passage? They, were de- they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? Which in our case is the teaching of the apostles through the recorded uh, scripture. And the fellowship and to the breaking of, of, the, of bread, which is the Lord's Supper, and the prayers, it says. So all these things are important. But it's interesting to see that fellowship made the list. Being together with the local church, doing life with these people, is very important. Uh, it was a commitment as members of the body of Christ to meet regularly. This can only happen if the church becomes central in your life. Now, I would argue that church membership... Right? Just becoming a member is synonymous with uh, committed members. So uh, becoming a member means to commit to yourself to this local church. Uh, it means to serve this church, for this church to be center um, in your life. Yeah, one and the same. To be a church member is to be a committed member. In fact, those who argue that church membership isn't even biblical, a lot of people think that just the, the uh, thought of church membership, becoming an official member of a church, is unbiblical. A lot of people think this. Um, But those who argue that church membership isn't even biblical and is a man-made idea are really arguing about commitment. That's really what they're arguing about. Uh, People don't want to become an official member because they don't want that, you know, baggage of commitment. Have you ever considered how many practices and commands given in the New Testament church, how they just lose all their meaning if commitment, uh, committed membership is not practiced, uh, both visibly um, and uh, in a way that's identifiable. So I'm going to show you a couple of scriptures that um, show things that are being commanded to the church that is impossible if you weren't a committed church member. Number one, I would start with church leadership. Um, someone read First Timothy 3, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, 
how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Thank you. So you see this description of what it means to be a trustworthy overseer of the church, a pastor, in other words. But if you think about the way that it's specifically described, describing who is qualified to be your pastor, um, the question would be, how would you be able to identify a person who is biblically qualified for the office of pastor, according to this verse, if we aren't committed to one specific, one specific local gathering um, of, of believers? So... We need to be able to be consistently attending to see who's qualified, who's not. Um, how are we able to determine whether the person is a husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, and so on and so forth. These are characteristics that can only be possible to identify if you're consistent in one church. Um, here's another verse. Hebrews 13, 17. Can I get somebody to read that? Yeah. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Again, so, thank you. So, when you look at that passage of Scripture, how would you submit to your leaders as they keep watch over your souls if you aren't a committed member of a church that they shepherd? Um, if you believe that you being saved is enough because it makes you part of the spiritual universal church, this would actually make you your own pastor. You would be your own pastor if you think that just being a Christian qualifies you um, or just makes you um, part of the church and that's just enough for you. You don't have to commit to a, a specific local church. This means that you're pastoring your own life. And if you don't see the danger of you trying to watch over your own soul, without seeing the need to submit to God's appointed shepherd in your life, you have an unhealthy understanding of the Bible and an unrealistic understanding of yourself. Believe me when I tell you that you're not the best judge of yourself. I'm not the best judge of myself. And this is why commitment to a church is important. You need to be under uh, leadership. Here's another uh, point, church discipline. Um, if you are one who thinks that church membership is a biblical concept, what about matters of church discipline? We're going to look at this first, but before that, we, see in, we even see in 1 Corinthians 5 that the Apostle Paul instructs the believers in Corinth to put out of their fellowship a man who was involved in sexual immorality. Now, here in Matthew 18, 15 through 17 is another example. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his, his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And verse 17 says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. In other words, an outsider. So again, that's an example of, of how we are to go about church discipline. 
But again, how, how would we distinguish God's people from the surrounding world if there's no practical, visible way of determining who belongs to the church and who belongs to the world? In church discipline, the idea of putting out a fellowship is impossible if there's no real way uh, of being co- uh, in a committed fellowship. So if, there's, if you're not a person who's committed to a church, there's no way that you can participate in this. Something that God is commanding us to do um, in cases like that. So we know that the church is not a building in and of itself, right? The church is us as a people. Um, but, question, you know what every church must have in order to be a church, apart from the building? Because, again, we, we're, the church is not the building. What the church needs to have is members, committed members, consistent members. So with that, just keep in mind, let, let us never detach membership with being committed, being committed to church as well. Again, uh, just by being a member of the church also means being a committed member to the church uh, as well. So keep that in mind. That brings me to point number two. Uh, the role of the gifts of each member. Now, before I get into the role of the gifts in the church, let's look at this verse here in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Can I get somebody to read that? Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties, <clears throat> are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. (coughs) To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Thank you, brother. So first I want to look at verse 4 through 6. Notice that it says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So Paul is saying that there are varieties of service, right, but the same Lord. In other words, Paul is specifically speaking about the work that needs to be done for the Lord. So the same God that has called the church collectively and given us the task that we are to do has also given each member individually certain gifts to accomplish them. All through the same Spirit. We see it's the Holy Spirit. And so throughout the passage, you see Paul listing different gifts that God has granted during that specific time according to their specific need. And notice verse 11. Verse 11 says, And these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. So what this means is that God, the Holy Spirit, has given each and every one of us gifts. What are the purposes of the gifts? 
Well, verse 7 shows us that it is for the common good. But in what context are we to use these gifts? Are these gifts for the world? For example, uh, you may ask, does God want me to use my gift of serving and being hospitable to serve the cause of evil and sinful events? No. Many talented, many talented people with amazing gifts that can only be attributed to the amazing gift giver have used their talents and gifts to serve the Lord of this world rather than the Lord of heaven and his agenda and not God's agenda. My wife and I, for fun, we've sat at home and watched some uh, talented singers on YouTube sing with such amazing voices, um, and it hits the heart every time we hear them sing, secular uh, people. But after watching them, we discuss the sad truth that their gift and talented is not one that is used for the kingdom of Christ, but rather given over to be used for self-glorification and exaltation of creature rather than creator. And this is opposite, opposite of what the church is called to do with their gifts. So again, regarding our gifts given by the Spirit, how or where should they be used? Let's read First uh, Peter uh, 4.11. I'll go ahead and read it. It says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So first of all, we, we must know, especially when we pull out just a, a random passage like that, we must know that Paul here is speaking to believers specifically. So again, this helps us to see in what context are we to use these gifts. Now look at verse 10. Notice where it says, as good stewards of God's grace. And then right before that, so as, as good stewards of God's grace, everything before that explains what it looks like to be good stewards of God's varied grace. Um, and, and what it says there is, is, as each has received the gift, use it to serve one another. In other words, you have gifts, use it to serve the body. These gifts do not essentially belong to us, right? These gifts are given to us by the Holy Spirit. They belong to Christ's church. One practical way to look at this, uh, here's just like, like a, an example or illustration. Imagine if you worked at an office and your manager gives you a bag of cash and checks to bring to the bank to have it deposited, right? So he, he or she just assigns you this, this job and is entrusting you to make sure that this bag of cash or, or checks are deposited. But on your way, you, you just decide that you're no longer interested <laughs> or you don't feel like making the trip. So you keep the money for yourself. Later that week, the management notices that this money was not delivered to the bank and begins to question the location of the money. They find out it's in your room. <laughs> the next day, you get fired and you are sent to prison for theft. You're a thief. The end of the story. In other words, the gifts that God has given to each one of us were meant to serve the body. And if you're not using them to serve the church, you rob the church in so many ways. Ask yourself, what are things that, you know, what are some gifts that I have? What are things that I can do to serve my church? These gifts may not all be the same. Some of you are good teachers. Some of you are very hospitable. Some of you are creative. 
Some of you are leaders at heart, right? You like to take charge. Some of you are great um, at administrative work. And some of you have multiple skills and gifts. Now, the reason at times why many Christians leave a church is because they prefer a church that are greater at one gift than another. Have you ever seen that? For example, they may say, I'm leaving this church because I prefer a church where the music is amazing and they know how to worship over there. Some people prefer a church where everyone is, a, is at a high level of scholarly education and even the members are, are better teachers than your favorite theologian. <laughs> but imagine being in a church where everyone is a musician or an artist <laughs> or a church where everyone's a teacher. That would be a disaster, actually. Just thinking about that. But maybe you desire to be in a place where a certain gift is more predominant. What does God say about that? What does the scripture say about that? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 26. Can I get someone to read that? Yeah, thanks. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose, and all were a single member Amen. So you see here, just, just reading through the scripture here, um, just the importance of each gift and the importance of, or the need of each gift, that each, each one of us plays a role um, with the gifts that God has assigned us to. Also here we, we see the importance of um, just the contribution of each member in the local body. Verse 18 says that God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. He sets it up, in other words. And verse 26 shows us that when the toe, right, when the toe is fractured or the wrist is broken or the eye is missing, the whole body suffers this loss. This shows us that each one of us plays a very important role in the body of Christ. You're uniquely made. You're, uh, the, the gifts that are given to you are uniquely distributed according to the will of the Holy Spirit. Um, so your attendance alone, let's just put it that way, your attendance alone contributes greatly. And you'll be surprised that when you can at least commit, if it's, if it's hard for you, at least commit to being present and attending, your gifts will be used or at least discovered. And as, as you see fit in where you can help and, and be of some, some sort of service. So again, let us never underestimate the goodness of simply attending. Um, it's a good start. It shouldn't end there, but it's a good start. Okay, now we get to point number three. A brief description of a committed member. So we're going we're gonna to describe and talk a little bit about um, what a committed member looks like. So again, in, in one sense, this question of what a committed member looks like is actually the whole, it's pretty, it pretty much covers everything that we're going through this, in this whole series. Um, it's pretty much what it, the whole series is about. But I'm going to explore a little more uh, behind this question. I want to speak on how real committed membership expresses itself through our gifts and through our services, but it's always done as an act of love. 
Okay, so I want to I want to sort of tie in um, love as 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 the motivation behind every gift um, and every every form of service. Um, let's look at this verse here. I'll go ahead and read it. it says and uh, this is First Corinthians thirteen two through seven. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to, remove, as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So think about our service to the church, um, whatever area uh, in which you serve in. What kind of service to the body is done while also hurting the body? Okay, in other words, if we are called to build up the body with our gifts, why would we do it while at the same time tearing up the body with our lack of love? This is counterproductive. Our services and commitments to the church must be done as an outpour of love for the church and, of course, ultimately for Christ. So ask yourself, does your service, does your attending, does your uh, anything that you contribute to, the, to serving the body, is it done out of an act of love? So with love as our filter, here are some things that describe or make up a, a committed member. Um, a, attending regularly. So uh, love for Christ's church would mean that we would attend regularly. Um, this is the first and most important ministry of every Christian in the local church. Being present, being known, and being active are the only ways that, uh, to make Christian love possible. So I'm going to show you a verse here. This is Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 that says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So a quick plug, our church meets regularly every Sunday. All throughout the week, we meet multiple times. We have a church bulletin with all the days and times. We have a website. We even have Bible studies and discipleship happening that are not even listed on the bulletin. It's, it's actually going on. Um, to assume that there isn't anything for you is crazy. This verse places responsibility on each member. If you look at that verse, it places responsibility on each member, including myself, of course, to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet, each, not neglecting to meet together. This means to be proactive in finding ways to attend and getting involved in the lives of other members. Our attendance is vital. Another point that describes a committed member is a committed member seeks peace within the church. A committed member is committed to maintaining the peace in the congregation. <clears throat> Romans 14, 19 says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Another verse, James 3.18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
So if, if we're not wise, we can make the mistake of contributing to the disunity of the church. Things like gossip and slander. These, are all, these, these all cause the disunity of the church. I'll read a verse that's not on the PowerPoint. 1 Timothy 2.16. It warns us when it says, This means we must avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. But again, committed members are those who make the effort to guard the peace of the church and instead of attacking the church, go side by side with the church and helping it mature. Another point that describes a committed member, a committed member edifies others. In Ephesians 4, we see the goal of what we read in 1 Corinthians 12. Our gifts are for the building up and edification of the body of Christ. And we all play a role in the building up and edification of Christ, of, of Christ's church. Um, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Can I get someone to read that? I love that part at the end where it says makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Um, and again, that's, that's the, that should be the heart of every committed member. Um, there's a joke between me and my wife. She's, she's been a lot in, yeah, I've been putting you a lot in this. It's probably Valentine's Day thing. Um, put you a lot in this uh, teaching series. Um, but there's a joke between me and my wife that many times we as Christians often refer to the church as if the church was some mysterious, like, cloaked man who lives in the attic of the church building. <laughs> we have a tendency to say things like, man, the church needs to start doing more of this and that. So you, you, you sort of speak of him as if he's some mysterious man in the attic. Or we say at times, man, I, I hate it when the church, this mysterious cloaked man, doesn't do this or that. Uh, it's almost as if the church were just... This person, this, this, this being uh, who, who lives in the attic. But, but again, poor, mysterious, cloaked man. He gets the blame for everything. If, if we were to pause the blame shifting for a moment and honestly think about all the complexities that actually go on for ministries to work consistently and effectively, you would start to realize that the mysterious, cloaked man who lives in the attic um, is a lot more like the Easter bunny and the tooth fairy. He just doesn't exist. Um, and we're, the only people that are left is you and I, the church members, the people who are um, members of Christ's body. We have the spirit in us, and God has called us to do the work of the ministry. Um, and so we are what's left, us and the Lord, our prayers, our sacrifice. And with that in mind, we must learn how to take ownership of the church as best as we can and serve the church as if we were serving God directly. Many times, great ministry ideas don't come to life simply because we lack volunteers. And that's kind of sad. 
In other words, before we blame the church, always remember that you are the church. If the church lacks, then what we're really saying is that we lack, right? That's what it means to take ownership of the church. It's important that we own to this title so that we, uh, we will be encouraged to be involved in filling what is lacking, right? If we can't do it, find a way for others to do it. Um, again, using our gifts and talents. We must support the work of ministry. Each member plays a role in the growth of the church, and we've got to keep that in mind. Um, okay. Uh, another role, another point uh, that characterizes the committed member, he is a member that warns and admonishes others. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this really quick, just for the sake of time. A, commi- a committed brother and sister seeks to be involved in the lives of other believers to help and be accountable to them. We are to be committed to speak the truth in love and to help them avoid pitfalls and encourage them in holiness and Christian joy. See that in uh, Ephesians 4.25. It says, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let, you, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Another characteristic of a committed member is uh, one who bears with others. A committed member is not one who feels that he has to leave the church the moment things doesn't go their way. He is committed to bear with the church. Many times people offend us, sin against us, but we are called to bear with one another. Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 21 through 22 says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He must have been tired of being offended and sinned against. As many as seven times. So he said it in a way that, wow, seven times is a lot. And of course, Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but I say to you 77 times. It's a lot. <laughs> but again, he's, he's, not, he's not emphasizing a specific number as much as he's emphasizing, like, keep forgiving him. Keep forgiving him. I love what Paul says in Romans 15, uh, verses 1 through 7. He says, we who are strong, okay, so for the mature believers here, we who are strong have an obligation, okay, this is a command, an obligation, to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each one of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Okay, this is referring to Jesus. So for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may be with one voice, uh, glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is a call for unity, a call for uh, bearing with one another. Uh, Characteristic, another characteristic of a godly, committed Christian. He prepares for the ordinances. One of the privileges of church membership is participating in Christ's ordinances, which is baptism and communion. A committed member rejoices at baptism when a new believer comes um, and is baptized. And he, he also examines his own heart in preparation for joining the family of God at the Lord's table. These both are means that give visible testimony to the gospel in the life of the gathered church. 
Another characteristic, uh, which I think is probably the most important one, is a committed member prays for the church. A committed member is one who desires good towards the church, not looks at a church and say, man, I hate my church or I hate the church. Um, that, that's, that's not, that doesn't come from a Christian. A committed member is one who desires good towards the church. And with that, he and she must be one who prays consistently for the church. I love what Spurgeon says about prayer. He says, the condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a grace-o-meter, and from it we may judge of the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the diverse tokens of his absence will be slothfulness in prayer. There can be so much more to say about the need for prayer. But with our little time, I'm just going to show you quick verses here. 1 Timothy 2.8 calls us to pray. It says, I desire then that in every place that men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. 1 Thessalonians 5.17-18. Pray without ceasing. So Muslims pray five times a day, I think. Christians are called to pray without ceasing without stopping a whole day a life of prayer praying constantly it says pray without ceasing giving thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you conclusion if we fail to associate ourselves in a truly committed way joining the body of Christ and making this a central part of our life this could only be a sign of ingratitude we who have the privilege of being in a country where we can freely join a local church with faithful doctrine and opportunities to be edified by the word should never take this for granted. And regardless of how heavy the burden can be at times, serving the church as a way to, uh, serving the church as a way to serve Christ is and should always be seen as a privilege and a joy. So let us be thankful that God would make us partakers of the work of the kingdom of God. And with this I want to close with an admonition from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, he, he says this and I quote. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered, the lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. They remember, as a psalmist did, how they went with the multitude to the house of God with, voice, with a voice of joy and praise with a multitude kept holy day. This is Psalms for, uh, uh, this, is, this, is, this is actually written in the Psalms. Therefore, let him who until now had the privilege of living in common Christian life with other Christians praise God and praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. So again, may this encourage us to be Christians who are committed members of the church, and Christ, as Christ has, has and continues to be committed to us. Let us be committed to our church uh, body. Amen? Amen? No questions? We can't take them? Let's pray. <laughs> 
Father, we thank you again for your word. Thank you for uh, what you had for us to learn today, Lord, through your providence. Uh, forgive me for my shortcomings. Um, but Lord, we just pray that you would help us, encourage us through your word, ultimately. Not anything great that I might have said, Lord, but that your word would be what sticks out in our hearts and in our minds regarding this topic of uh, being committed members, Lord. And help us to have a heart that loves the church desires to serve and to be committed and faithful just the way that Christ was faithful to us, Lord. We thank you. Uh, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys.